0: Let's go to 1 John chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2 and we come back to verses 12 through 14 together this morning. We began our look at these verses last week and I told you we'd be coming back here today. 1 John chapter 2 look at look with me at verses 12 through 14 John writes I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you children because you know the father I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer, would you? Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. And I pray that it would truly be the prayer of our hearts that you would speak, Lord. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our lives through the power of your word. And may we realize that you expect our obedience to your word. So Lord, we ask that you would encourage us today and build us up and correct us and correct our thinking, and give us the wisdom that's only found in Your Word, and empower that Word to change us through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so, Lord, we yield before You today. We ask for Your work in our hearts and minds, making us the people that You desire we be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I noted last week together that believers in Jesus Christ are victors ultimately because of Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ are victors. And you are so ultimately because of Jesus Christ. Christ conquered sin, Christ has conquered death and hell, and by his sacrifice on the cross, he's made you acceptable. To God we are victors in Christ when we confess our sins and believe in Jesus that work that he accomplished for us makes us acceptable in God's sight nothing we have done makes us acceptable in God's sight no no good works or good deeds on our behalf make us acceptable in God's sight it is because of Jesus Christ. I also noted that we can be, and we should be, daily victors. We are ultimately victors because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but we can be, and we should be, daily victors, and that we have a daily part in our victory over the evil one. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a daily part to play in victory over the evil one. And we're here to talk about that this morning. We know these verses in 1 John chapter 2, they are encouraging words and we know that these verses are for all believers because of what John says, the way he addresses his readers. And I noted it last time, I'll just remind you this morning that when he says little children, he talks to little children here. He's not talking to little children. I know. Why didn't he, why did he use words like that while we're translating, okay? In the, in the translation, we, we come up with little children, but the, the understanding is, is here, and he says it many times, several times in First John, he uses those words, little children, when he addresses believers, when he is addressing believers in the church. And so when he mentions little children, he's talking about believers in general. And so we know that this is for all of us. This is for the church. This is for all believers. This is for us today. That little phrase, little children, it's a term of endearment toward those who are followers of Christ, those in the church. And so this is for us as believers today as well. We can see too that he is seeking to build up and encourage the believers with his use of the term fathers. He says fathers, but don't be confused by that because he's not talking about fathers so much as he's talking about those who are spiritually mature. All right? All right. He says fathers and he says younger men. He's not targeting specifically men here, although I noted it last time I'll remind you men we should not we should not discount this that this doesn't apply to us just because it's more generally the church at large and, and believers in general. And then he's talking to fathers as spiritually mature ones, and then he's talking to young men as those who, who are less spiritually mature but they're growing and they're experiencing victory. I challenge you men not to overlook this because it is critical that we take the spiritual leadership that God has required of us and that we lead by example in these things that we look at this morning as we think about God's Word abiding in us. We need to lead by example in this way. But I do remind you, he's talking to believers in general. And then he gets a little bit more specific when he says fathers, talking about those who are more spiritually mature. And then young men, for those he's talking about, those who are less spiritually mature, but it's not that they're not maturing, they are maturing, they are experiencing victory in their walk with Christ. And so he's encouraging the church that they are victors in Christ. Verse 12 again, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Your sins are forgiven. You are victors because of Jesus Christ. And he says they are growing and they're maturing and they're experiencing victory through the work of Christ in them. Verse 13, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You're experiencing victory. And this message is for us today. May it be true of us, may it be said of us that we are experiencing victory in our lives, that we are overcoming the evil one because God's Word dwells in us. And we noted specifically three things, three hope-giving truths from this passage last week. Victory is yours, we've touched on that. Victory is yours if you have confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ. We also noted last week, secondly, that the second reason for a believer's hope is in the fact that you can know the One who is from the beginning. You can know Jesus Christ. He is the One from the beginning. And you can know the Father who sent Him. Sent Him to take our place, to take our punishment on the cross. And you can know the One who sent Him. You can know His commands. And you can be guarded against sin if you keep His commands. There is great hope in knowing that you can know the Father and the Son. Victory is yours because of Jesus Christ. And you can know the Father. And you can know the Son. And you can know that His Word. And His Word can spare you from sin if you will heed it and obey it. And then thirdly, the third basis, the third reason for hope John first mentions in the second half of verse 13, look at it with me again, would you? Verse 13. In the second half he says, because you have overcome the evil one. And then again at the end of verse 14, and you have overcome the evil one. And know what precedes that statement by John in the beginning of verse 14. John notes the the why and how believers are overcoming the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abides in you. You see, the third reason for hope, and this is why we can be daily victors, and this is where we're going to stay for a while this morning, our third reason for hope is because we are strong when the Word of God abides in us. There is great hope for believers because we can be strong when God's Word abides in us. What a wonderful truth to know that we are able to defeat the evil one. But it's not in and of ourselves. We have strength to defeat the devil when God's Word abides in us. That's what we learn from John in verse 14 where he says, the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We need to understand that those two are... Connected, You don't get one without the other. You don't conquer Satan's ploys to defeat you without God's Word dwelling in you. And oh, how God's people need to dwell on this truth today. We are ultimately victors because of Christ. Yes. And because we know the Son who gave Himself for our sins, and we know the Father who sent the Son. But we dare not overlook the fact that daily victory over the evil one is ours when we have God's Word dwelling in us. We'll be strong to defeat the devil when we get the Word of God into our lives. When we dwell in God's Word. And when God's Word dwells in us. Now why do we so desperately need this? Why do we so desperately need God's Word? You might be sitting there thinking, why in the world are you making such a big deal about the Bible? We're here. You know, we're listening to you preach. And we're getting our daily dose of the Bible. We're getting our weekly dose of the Bible. You know, you need more than a weekly dose. all right? Why do we so desperately need God's Word? And I say this because I know that you may not think you need God's Word as badly as I think you need God's Word. But I know my heart, and I know how badly I need God's Word, And I know what God's Word says about how badly we need God's Word, and so I'm here to tell you, you desperately need daily to be in God's Word. Why am I here telling you that you desperately need to daily feed on God's Word? Well, for one, you and I need daily victory over the evil one. You and I need daily victory over the evil one. Just as those in the church needed daily victory over the evil one in John's day, so do we. But why is that? Why must we concern ourselves with daily victory over the devil? I want you to note that John mentions twice, once in verse 13 and once in verse 14, that you have overcome the evil one. Why would he say that if they didn't need to overcome the evil one? If there wasn't a daily need for that, you have overcome the evil one. I mean, ultimately, he's saying... In Jesus Christ, you overcome the evil one. You've conquered sin and death and hell, not because of something you've done, but because of Jesus Christ. But there in verse 14, he says, And God's word dwells in you. There must be some reason to overcome the evil one if John commends them that they are overcoming the evil one. So what is it about the evil one that needs to be defeated and overcome in our lives? I think it would help for us to think about this for a moment. What is it about the evil one? What do we know about the evil one? What do we know about Satan that makes it necessary for us to experience daily victory over the evil one, over Satan? Here's what we know about Satan from God's Word, and I'm going to move quickly here. First of all, we know Satan is an accuser. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. We know that Satan is an accuser. We also know that Satan is a tempter. We see it many times in Scriptures. He tempted Eve in the garden. We know, right? He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And there are many other examples that that Satan is a tempter. The evil one tempts us to sin, and he accuses us of sin. Now, we've all sinned. I'm not asking. I'm telling. Okay? We've all sinned. And Satan accuses us with that sin. He takes that sin he says, you, filthy, dirty, rotten, scoundrel, you. Right? He says, don't you ever forget your sin. Don't you ever forget when you fill in the blank. Right? Satan loves to bring those things back to our attention. Right? But that's not the only place he's accusing us. Not in our own minds. He, He doesn't... Keep himself constrained to accusing us. He goes before the Father and he says, Look at those people down there who are sinners. They're sinners. They're filthy, rotten, you know, they're filthy, dirty, rotten scoundrels. You shouldn't forgive them of their sins. So Satan is accusing us before the Father. Satan accuses us with that sin. And we know too that we are tempted to sin, and Satan is part of that temptation. He wants us to commit sin. He wants us to have sin in our lives so that he can go before the Father and accuse us of more sin. Let me talk to you just for a moment about how we deal with Satan's accusations. How do we deal with Satan's accusations? If Satan is an accuser, what can I do about that? What can we do about it? Well, if we sin, and we do, and if we confess our sins, and we should, those sins are forgiven, are they not? Our sins are forgiven when we confess our sins. We sin, we confess our sins, and those sins are forgiven. I don't say that, I don't put it that way to to, to make little of it. We should not sin. That's the whole reason John's writing first John. We see it again and again. He says, so that you won't sin. That's why I preach till I'm blue in the face every Sunday, so you'll you'll learn not to sin, right? But Satan tempts us to sin, and sometimes we cave and we sin, right? And we need forgiveness, and so we repent of our sin. We don't take that lightly. That's a very serious thing. And we ought to turn from sin and run from sin and not sin and have a desire to please God. But when we do sin, we need to know that we can confess our sin and we're forgiven of that sin. Satan likes to take that sin to the Father. And you need to know that there is hope for those who are in Christ you know the outcome for those who have repented of their sin. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know that you are victorious because of Christ. You have Christ abiding in you, and for that reason there is great hope, and you can be greatly encouraged that God will not hold your sin against you because of Jesus Christ. We learned earlier in 1 John that Jesus is our propitiation And He is our advocate. Now, Christ being our propitiation means that the wrath of God has been completely removed from those who believe in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Propitiation means that the wrath of God has been removed from those who believe in Jesus Christ. How about an amen, right? Isn't that wonderful news? Sometimes we don't take the wrath of God very seriously, do we? And we need to know. Jesus Christ being our propitiation means that He satisfied God's just and righteous judgment on us, and we will not bear that judgment because of Jesus Christ. The removal of God's wrath has been made final for those who repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus is our propitiation. What about the Advocate? Jesus Christ the Advocate. Being our advocate means that because Christ is our propitiation, He now stands before the Father. He's our go-between. He's our lawyer, so to speak. right? Jesus is our advocate before the Father. And you need to know and abide in God's promises given to you in His Word that your sins have been forgiven and your sins are washed away and clean. And your sinless advocate intercedes for you before the Father. So when Satan, the accuser, comes and says, but what about so-and-so and his sin? Or what about so-and-so and her sin? Satan, Satan coming before the Father. The son says, uh-uh. That's paid for. That's settled. It's washed clean. Get out of here, Satan. Don't bring your accusations here again about that because that's been washed away. That person has confessed their sins and been forgiven because of the blood shed for them by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so you have an advocate. Your replacement. Who's taken the punishment for your sin and goes to the Father and intercedes on our behalf when the accuser comes. So we deal with Satan's accusations by, first of all, you want to know how you deal with Satan's accusations? By, first of all, confessing your sin. If you're not a believer today, you need to realize that you are a sinner. And that you need to confess to God that you are a sinner, that you realize you're a sinner and believe in Jesus Christ. But that won't stop the accusations. That's just the beginning. Because you will sin. And when you sin, you need to confess your sins. So you deal with Satan's accusations by confessing your sin. Can Confess your sins to God and continue to trust in Christ that He is the acceptable sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. and He is our advocate with the Father over our sins. That's how we deal with the accusations of the evil one. We confess our sins to God and we trust in Christ. We deal with Christ. We don't deal with Satan. You need to know that. You don't deal with Satan. You deal with Christ. And Christ deals with Satan. Alright? And so you deal with Christ. You confess your sins to God. And you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, complete and total forgiveness of your sins. And then Jesus deals with Satan over that sin. And don't come to me, Satan, confusing the issue and accusing others of sin because I've forgiven their sins so we deal with Christ, and Christ deals with Satan, the accuser. Wonderful truths. Powerful truths for the believer. But Satan also tempts us, right? Satan tempts us. And you and I need God's Word abiding in us to build us up and guard us against temptation. God's Word does not remove temptation. You need to know that. God's Word does not remove temptation. But God's Word helps us deal with it appropriately. It helps us think right. It helps us recognize temptation for what it is. This thinking right issue and God's Word we're going to come back to tonight because we need to learn by God's grace and by God's Word to think right. And so when, we, when we're when we tempted, we recognize temptation for what it is and deal appropriately with it with God's Word. Did you know that temptation goes beyond being tempted to some immoral sin? Sometimes we think about temptation as just temptation to sin in get in some kind of an immoral lifestyle or sin in some immoral way. Did you know that there's temptation to other kinds of sins? Did you know that you and I can be tempted to abandon the faith because of, say, an illness that we suffer? You get involved in an illness and it takes a major portion of your time and thinking and your concern, and you could be tempted to abandon your faith when you're ill. Satan would be happy to use your illness or the illness of a loved one to cause you to doubt your faith. Satan is also quite content to use some difficulty in your family or some difficulty on the job or some difficulty in your children your grandchildren's lives to tempt you to doubt your faith so that you will abandon your faith. Anything that would tempt us to lose hope and tempt us to walk away from our faith in Christ, Satan will use to destroy our faith. And that's why we need God's Word dwelling in us. Because it helps us think right. It gives us the truth that we need to deal appropriately with the temptations so that we can recognize them for what they are. Something from the pit of hell, from the father of lies. Now, one thing we know from God's Word is that Satan is a liar, right? And he is the father of lies. So we know that anything he uses to tempt us, he is lying about. And here's why it's so necessary that God's Word abide in us. We need God's truth so that we can recognize Satan's lies. Go with me to John chapter 8, the Gospel of John, toward the beginning of the New Testament. John chapter 8, I want you to see a couple of verses here. John chapter 8 and verse 32. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus says these words. And you know these. Verse 32, John chapter 8. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I've heard... And you've probably heard unbelievers use that phrase, the truth will set you free. I heard it recently and I was thinking about this passage when I heard it so it helped to know the truth, the real truth. Because when somebody said, the truth will set you free, and you've heard that, and unbelievers often use that saying and probably not even realizing that it's actually a passage from the Scriptures. And it's usually used in the context of like this. you know, They they don't say these words, but they say, the truth shall set you free. Meaning, tell the truth, and doing so will set you free. Okay? Tell the truth, and doing so will set you free. That's usually the context that a phrase like that is used by an unbeliever. But that is not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't talking about being liberated by telling the truth. What Jesus was speaking of is the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, because later in verse 36, look at it, he says, So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You must know the Son for the truth to set you free. You must know the Son. He is the source of all truth. You need to know Jesus Christ to be set free. The truth won't set you free. Jesus Christ sets you free, and He is the source of all truth. That's why, verse 32, "...and you will know the truth, you will know the Son." And the truth, the Son, will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You see, God's Word is truth. And we need God's Word desperately to be freed from the lies of Satan. The Word of God is what saturates our heart and mind with the truth and enables us to overcome the devil. The Word of God abiding in us is what shines the light of truth into the darkness, expelling the darkness of Satan's lies, exposing the evil one's lies for what they are. How do we overcome the evil one? We do it with God's Word. We do it with God's Word. We don't deal with Satan. We don't deal with the evil one. We deal with God's Word. We don't deal with the evil one. We go to God's Word and we let God's Word deal with the evil one. That's exactly what Jesus did when He was tempted. How? Why should we do any less? When Jesus was tempted by Satan, He said, God's Word says, (laughs) and dealt with Satan with God's Word. So how do we go about getting the Word of God into us? That was just my introduction so far. we are just gotten to the introduction. You understand that we're going somewhere with this. How do we get God's Word into us? Because that's so critical. You understand now the importance of why we get God's Word into us? I hope you do. How do we go about making sure God's Word dwells in us so that we are strong to deal with the devil? to deal with the evil one's temptations and not sin, to have daily victory. How do we do that? How do we get God's Word into us so it's dwelling in us? How do we get a steady diet of the Word? How do we abide in God's Word? And how does God's Word abide in us? I want you to know that I believe having God's Word dwell in you is actually pretty simple. It's actually pretty easy. It does take work, but the steps aren't difficult. You just need to faithfully practice some things that I believe you need to do to get God's Word into you so that it will dwell in you so that you'll be thinking right. It's really pretty simple, and I say so because I think it would be a major mistake for me to lead you to believe that having God's Word dwell in you takes some theological training and, and some knowledge of the original languages because I don't think that it does. Those things are good. God intends for His Word to dwell in each believer. God gave us His Word so that we could read it and study it and apply it to our lives as individual believers and so that we wouldn't have to depend on one person saying, here's what God's Word says. I know you don't have a copy of it for yourself, but trust Me. We know how that works, right? You shouldn't trust Me. You should trust God's Word. You should open God's Word to find out what I'm saying is right by God's Word. You need to know God's Word, and it would be a complete disservice to you if I said, don't worry about the Bible, close it up, don't read it for yourself, just trust me. Because Satan would like to lead you astray that way, okay? Now how we learn to dwell in God's Word is critical, and I think it's fairly straightforward, and it's not very difficult. I want you to note four steps this morning, four faithful steps. And I say faithful steps because I mean repeating, repeating over and over again. Take these four steps and just keep doing these four steps again and again. This is not some magic answer, but I see these kinds of, these kinds of practices in the life of a believer as benefiting you greatly when it comes to getting God's Word into your life so that it will dwell in you, so that it will help you to think right. When Satan accuses you and when Satan tempts you to sin, Number one, and you're going to go. Yeah, I knew you were going here. Number one, <laughs> attend the church for the regular preaching of God's word. Okay. Now I put emphasis on the preaching part, and there are there might be many reasons we come to church. But God intends for us to gather together as a body of believers so that we will be under the preaching of God's Word. This is an absolute necessity for believers. You need the preaching of God's Word. You need the preaching of God's Word. I can't tell you how many times I am so completely refreshed when I get to sit under the preaching of God's Word. It's a refreshing thing, and it's an energizing and exciting thing for me to study and preach, and I love doing it. But there's something different about listening to the preaching of God's Word and having God's Word given to you and said, Thus says, thus saith the Lord, right? And to, and to hear God's Word preached. You and I desperately need to be under the preaching of God's Word. And one of the ways God's chosen to equip His people is through the preaching of His Word. That's one of the ways. That's not the only way. And so I'm not stopping here. But that's one of the ways. Now, some might ask here and say, well, what about, what about Bible studies? What about small group Bible studies? Don't I, don't I have to join one of those to really know God's Word? Or, or I, I just think that if I, if I get into a Bible study, I'll know God's Word much better, and that's the answer. And I've heard an occasional statement like, oh, if there were just more Bible studies that I could go to. And and it concerns me just a little bit because I want you to know that you can study God's Word for yourself. And you can read and study God's Word for yourself and apply God's Word to your life and you can dwell in God's Word and God's Word can dwell in you. And you don't have to depend on waiting for a weekly Bible study or or a monthly Bible study or whatever it might be. Bible studies are fine. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm in the midst of one right now with a group of small group of people. But studies, Bible study groups can be very helpful, yes, in getting you into God's Word. And that's a very necessary thing. If it helps you get into God's Word and begin study God's Word on your own, that's a very good thing about Bible study groups. But they are not what you should depend upon for your steady food for your soul. You need steady, daily food for your soul. And Bible studies are not the answer to how your soul will be built up and equipped to stand against the father of lies. Often, the weakness of a Bible study group is that some people come to the group innocently enough with the attitude of, here's a passage of Scripture and here's what I think it says to me. Do you hear any weakness in that? Here's what I think this says to me. And God's never intended for us to read His Word and study His Word with a kind of an attitude with, what does this mean to me? What does this say to me? Because that implies that it might say something, to some, something different to someone else. And that is a dangerous way to do Bible study because it doesn't matter what it means to me if I don't know what it means. We need to know what it means, and we can know what it means. Because God has blessed us with His Word in forms that we can read and understand and apply to our lives. And so we need to be very careful that we don't come to the Bible, even by ourselves, with an attitude of, what does this mean to me? What does it mean to me? It might mean something different to somebody else, but what does it mean to me? It doesn't matter what it means to me, it matters what it means to God and he wants us to know what he means he intends for us to read and study his word with the attitude of what does god's word say and what sh- what should i do as a result of what god's word says what does god's word say and what does it require that i do now right that's how you ought to read god's word what does god's word say and what does it require of me how can i obey So I caution you that when you do participate in a Bible study group, that you're very careful that you don't bring to the group the wrong perspective, but that you bring the right perspective. We should always read God's Word, whether it's alone or in a group, or even as I'm preaching to you, as you're hearing God's Word preached. We should always have the attitude of, what does God's Word say and what does it require of me? That's why it is critical that we attend church for the preaching of God's Word, so that we can hear God's Word declared. It is so necessary that that we obey God's teaching in His Word and gather together as a body of believers to hear the proclamation of God's Word. Thus saith the Lord. Not this. thus saith the preacher. Not thus saith Kevin. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God's Word says. So before I just caution you here, please, Before you go wishing for a Bible study group, I just suggest take advantage of the preaching and teaching opportunities that already exist. Three times every Sunday. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We gather together to be built up and encouraged and nourished through the Word of God. Be faithful to place yourself under the preaching of the Word. It is an absolute necessity, but it cannot fully Equip you to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is not where we stop. This is where we start. Be faithful to place yourself under the teaching of God's Word. Number two. That's why you must also learn to feed your soul, your own soul, daily with the milk, bread, and meat of God's Word. Here's number two Read God's Word daily. Read God's Word daily. I told you this was pretty simple. Read God's Word daily. You know what? You and I eat three times a day, right? We usually, most of us, eat three times a day to maintain health and strength. Why should we think that we can get by on a Bible study here and a sermon there for the sustenance of our souls? We need to love God's Word and read God's Word, and we can only do that if we're in it daily For many years, there has been a a popular church growth movement that operates on the principle of, of this. It operates like this. Find out what people want and do that, and they'll come to church. Find out what people like, find out what they want, and give it to them, and they'll come to church. Now, for one thing, God's Word doesn't teach anything about growing a church. When we talk about church growth movements or church growth, God's Word doesn't say anything about growing the church numerically, what God's Word does talk about is, is knowing God's Word and obeying God's Word. And an amazing thing happens when we do that. God grows the church. You know? That's how He intends to grow the church, but He doesn't talk about growing the church by some physical effort that we can put in, not like taking a poll in the community and saying, what do you like? Let's do that. It is so critical that we be students of the Word. For another thing, the most, most of the time what we want is not what we need. So if I took a poll and I said, what do you want? It's very likely that that's not exactly what you need. What we need is God's Word dwelling in us richly. And for real growth to occur in the life of a believer, you must read and obey God's Word. You must allow God's Word to saturate your heart, to saturate your soul and your mind. You must learn to feed on God's Word yourself. And the weakness of that church growth movement that I talked about earlier was that they would just pull a community and find out what a community wanted and then get people to come in and they'd do things that were fun and interesting but maybe not preach God's Word. And they would get people into small groups which they thought would be helpful and that didn't really grow people spiritually. That just kind of created a sense of community and camaraderie. And what we need more than that is God's Word dwelling in us. And so we need to be very cautious that we're not thinking, well, this is what I think I need in pursuing fellowship and camaraderie. Those things are important in the church, but they're not the be-all, end-all of our church life and our spiritual lives. We need God's Word dwelling in us. God's Word is how He communicates with us corporately as a body of believers. God's Word is how He communicates to us individually as believers. And God's Word is a personal book that you need to take very personally and you need to saturate your soul and mind with. That's why you need to go beyond getting under the preaching of the Word. You should get under the preaching of the Word. But you need to read God's Word for yourself. You can and should read God's Word for yourself. Charles Spurgeon wrote, "...the best food for you is the Word of God itself." They called him the Prince of Preachers, and man, could he preach? And many of his, almost most of his sermons are still in print today. He even wrote this. Sermons and books are well enough, but streams that run for a long distance above ground gradually gather for themselves somewhat of the soil through which they flow, and they lose the cool freshness with which they started from the springhead. Truth is sweetest, where it breaks from the smitten rock, for at its first gush it has lost none of its heavenliness and vitality. It is always best to drink at the well and not from the tank. You shall find that reading the Word of God for yourselves, reading it rather than notes upon it, is the surest way of growing in grace. Drink of the unadulterated milk, of the Word of God and not of the skim milk or of the milk and water of man's Word. And right He is. You need the truth in you. I need the truth in me. You need a steady diet of the truth. The Bible is God's truth, and we need a steady diet of it. We need to drink from the wellhead. We need to drink straight from the well of God's Word, and so we need to read God's Word. And you should not be tempted to think that by attending a Bible study group or just simply being under a sermon once a week is your golden ticket to God's truth. You need to read God's Word for yourself. You need to study God's Word for yourself. And many times we can get so wrapped up in the excitement and activities of a church and not realize that the most important part of the church is when God's people as individuals become students of the Word themselves and read the Bible for themselves. Drink, as Spurgeon says, straight from the well of God's Word. Do not neglect it. Thirdly, you must also pray you must also pray. Do not neglect prayer. If you want God's Word to dwell in you, you must pray. You see, God communicates to us through His Word. We communicate to Him through prayer. That's two-way communication. That's how God has chosen to communicate to us through His Word. And that's how He's chosen for us to communicate to Him through prayer. And if you want God's Word to dwell in you, you must pray. And maybe you're wondering, what? Well, okay, what do I pray about? <laughs> pray. Pray this, pray before you read God's Word, pray during the time that you read God's Word, while you're reading God's Word, and pray after you read God's Word. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Pray before you read God's Word, as you're reading along in God's Word, pray, and as you finish, pray. And here's some things that you ought to pray about. Pray before, during, and after that God will help you pay attention. He will keep your mind from wandering. I can't tell you how much I need this. I desperately need this. My mind mind is like all over the place. I could be sitting still for an hour. My mind is in 3,000 different locations. And if I don't pray for God to help me focus my attention on what He wants me to read and learn and grow under, I may miss His blessings. And I believe that that's likely a problem for some of you too. Pray before, during, and after the time you read God's Word to help you pay attention. That should be true of our times together as we come together and you sit under the preaching of the Word. Let me encourage you to pray before you get here. And pray while you're here. And pray after you leave that God will help you to pay attention to His Word as it's preached. Ask God to help you not to be distracted during the preaching and during your times of reading. If you have trouble with this, like when you're at home reading God's Word, it might help for you to get in a quiet place. This is common sense, isn't it? It might help for you to go and be alone, get in a quiet place. I know some of you say, you know, couples, we have an agreement. We don't, you know, we don't talk to each other. We kind of stay away from each other first thing in the morning because that's our time with the Lord until a certain time has passed. And then we start talking to each other. Maybe you need to do something like that so you can pay attention to what God's Word says as you're reading it. Let me tell you this, too. If you're distracted in our services, and it's almost impossible to not be distracted in the service of the church when there's people involved because we tend to move, right? I scratch my ear and ten people look, right? And so here's a suggestion. You can sit closer. That's all right. I won't bite. That, that helps sometimes, right? I put my kids right in the front so they won't be distracted, so they'll listen. I know sometimes we distract each other, right? So that would help. Move closer. But pray. Pray and ask God to help you not to be distracted, and then also pray that God, if there are distractions, help me to have the right attitude about them. Help me to not be distracted. Help me not to get angry about the distractions because I'm trying to pay attention. You know what? Satan would love for you to get angry that you're distracted. Satan's going, ha ha ha! They're distracted. He's angry that he that he's distracted. He can't hear the word. Woohoo! Right. Satan loves it if he can get us angry about something, distracted over something. Pray before you come. Pray while you're here. Pray after you leave that God will drive his message home. Pray for understanding. Pray for understanding. God wants you to pray for understanding. God wants you to pray for wisdom. He is a generous giver when it comes to wisdom. He will give you wisdom if you, will, if you will seriously ask for wisdom and then seek His Word for truth. It is all truth. You just read God's Word and He will reveal His truth to you and give you His wisdom. But you need to surrender yourself. So I would suggest praying for understanding. Pray for wisdom, but also pray that God would help you surrender yourself and be yielded to His Word. Number four, take notes. I told you this stuff was easy, right? Go to church for the preaching of the Word. Read God's Word yourself. Pray and take notes. If you wish for God's Word to dwell in you, you must dwell in God's Word. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can be a, you know, an inexpensive notebook, whatever, a legal pad, whatever. Write some notes down while you read God's Word. Taking notes, recording your thoughts, making notes of questions that come to your mind as you read will help you to pay attention to God's Word. It will help to keep you from being distracted. and It will help keep your, your mind on course in God's Word. Make notes about interesting insights about God's Word that come to mind as you read. Make notes about questions you have as you're reading along. You go, know, that's interesting or odd, I don't quite understand that. I'm going to make a note about it so I can keep going. And I'll think about that. I might come back to that later and dig into another piece of scripture or passage to help me understand that. Some say, Well, I don't take notes because I never go back and read them anyway. That's all right, neither do I. I don't read I don't think I've ever I go back and maybe read one or two times that I've written notes and I got piles of notes that I take when I'm listening to somebody preach. Or when I'm studying God's word, I rarely go back. Well, I'm like the guy who said, I'm not writing it down so that I'll remember it later, I'm writing it down so I'll remember it now. I love that. We need to take notes. You may not ever go back to them, but when I take notes, I remember it. And God brings it back to me because I stopped and I said, this is important, I'm going to write it down. So let me encourage you to take notes. Also keep track of where you're reading. Sometimes review is good. I've got a mean older brother who, if he finds your book with a bookmark in it, he'll take the bookmark and move it back ten chapters, you know, just to make you review just a little bit, you know. That's alright, reviewing God's Word is good, but keep track of where you're reading. For one reason, you don't want to get stuck in one place and only read one thing. Don't stay in the Psalms, alright? Psalms are wonderful. Read some of those every day, that's fine. But don't stay there. Read elsewhere. Read all of God's Word. Read the totality of Scriptures, and sometimes, more times than not, Scripture is its best interpreter. And so as you're writing notes, As you read God's Word and you say, I'm wondering about this, I'm not quite sure I understand this. As you're reading elsewhere, God may show you the answer to your question. As you're reading. So take notes. It's pretty simple. Dwell in God's Word. Dwell in God's Word. You get into God's Word and let God's Word dwell in you. Take some steps to faithfully... Get God's Word into your life. Get yourself under the preaching of the Word. Get yourself into God's Word yourself. Read it. And then pray and ask for God's help and insight and understanding and and concentration so you won't be distracted. And take notes so that your your mind will be well-equipped to dwell in God's Word. I want you to remember that John isn't commending the believers here for being strong in their own strength he doesn't come along and say, you're such a, a strong church, you're such a strong group, and I just ad- admire you for your strength. You're just a wonderful church of strength. He said, you're conquering Satan, and God's Word dwells in you. That's why you're strong. He commends and encourages them because the battle is won because of Jesus Christ, yes. And their sins had been forgiven because of the name of Jesus, yes. And He commends and encourages them because they know the Father and the Son. And He commends and encourages them because God's Word dwells in them. Oh, that it would be said of us that God's Word dwells in us. And we daily experience victory over the evil one. Amen? I pray that it would be true of you. True of me. That we would dwell in and that God's Word would dwell in us. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Oh, that it would be said of us that we are strong and that God's word abides in us, lives in us, breathes in us, and and we have overcome the evil one. Oh Lord, help us to know your word. Lord, help us to think right. Help us to know your truths that help us to think right and help us to overcome the evil one's ploys to defeat and discourage and tempt us to sin. We know John, as he wrote, he said, I'm writing so that you may not sin. So Lord, we know that these are for us. These verses, these words are for us because we do struggle with sin. And we give in. And we need to be strong. Lord, help us to be a people who are strong because Your Word abides in us and dwells in us. God, may our lives be a glory to You. great A great glory to You in this community because of Your Word. Because we're obedient to You. Because we love You with our heart and soul and mind and strength and we hide Your Word in our heart. And So Lord, we gather together this morning and we're thankful for these reminders from Your Word and we ask for Your strength and Your power and Your wisdom And Lord, help us to yield to You as You teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.